All right, so if everybody could make their way back in, we're going to go ahead and get started. Hope that you're all thawed out from freezing yesterday. It was so warm out this morning, I thought I might wear shorts to church, but I decided, decided against it, you know. So we've been taking the beginning of the year, and in the beginning of this new year, we've been looking at our spirit, our soul, and our body, and asking the Lord if there's any part of us, those three parts of us, if there's any part of us that needs adjustment, that needs a change, a part that he wants us to, to look at, he wants to put his finger on and say, hey, there's an issue here I want to deal with. And I hope that during this series, you've been open to the Holy Spirit, speaking to you and showing you various things that he wants to deal with in your life. This morning, we're going to be looking at our body. We already talked about our spirit and our soul, and today we're going to be talking about our body. The title of my message this morning is Honoring God with Your Body. Honoring God with Your Body. I can remember a time when I was growing up, I was probably, I'm guessing, 11 or 12 or something like that, and I was actually in this room, and I heard somebody who I looked up to and respected telling a story to somebody else, and it, he was kind of telling a story that he was trying to be funny, and he was trying to make people laugh, but at the same time, he wasn't making up a story, it was, it was a true story, and he was telling a story about how his family went to this restaurant called Ponderosa, I don't even really know if Ponderosa is around anymore, but for anybody who doesn't know, Ponderosa is like a, a buffet where it's like you pay one price and you go in and you can eat as much food as you want to, want to eat. I can remember the first time I went there as a kid, I looked around and I was like, you can literally eat as much food as you want? Little did I know, my stomach wasn't very big, so it wasn't that good of a deal. But. So this guy was telling this story about going to Ponderosa. And he was trying to be funny, and he said, you know, my family, we don't approach Ponderosa like willy-nilly, like we don't go into it half-hearted, like we go in with a game plan, like this is the Super Bowl of our week. And usually he said they would go on Saturdays, on Saturdays they would go to Ponderosa, he said the rule for his family was no one's allowed to eat anything before they get to Ponderosa, so no breakfast in the morning. Ponderosa opened at 11 a.m., they'd be the first one in the parking lot waiting for the place to open. They'd get in there and they'd have a late breakfast at Ponderosa. They would eat as much as they possibly could till they thought, there's no way I could even eat one more bite. Like, I couldn't fit one more bite in me. And you'd think they would go home after that, but no, this guy would not go home after that. They would stay there for a couple hours, let the food settle down, then they would go back for a late lunch, and then they would stuff as much Ponderosa food, as much MSG as they possibly could into their body, and then you'd think, okay, they've had two huge meals, like surely they're going to be done. And the guy said it was about this time that usually the manager of Ponderosa would start to eye them up and try to think, like, are they going to dare go back for a third meal after this? Like, I would do better to ask them to leave and just give them their money back at this point. I would be ahead if I just got them to leave and free up a seat for someone else to come. But they would wipe the sweat off their brow and they would go back for a third meal at Ponderosa. Now, when I heard this guy uh, tell this story, I, I didn't exactly have a very astute dietitian's mindset, but somewhere inside of me I knew 10 to 15,000 calories of Ponderosa's finest couldn't possibly be good for you. And from that day forward, I kind of, as a little kid, I was kind of a little bit afraid that one day I was going to come to church on Sunday and this guy wasn't going to be there because he dropped dead in the parking lot of Ponderosa after another 15,000 calories of Ponderosa. Somehow inside of me, I knew 
that that wasn't honoring our body. We weren't honoring the Lord by eating in that way. The title of my message this morning is Honoring God with Our Bodies. Now, I've actually spent a lot of time, a lot of time over the last three months looking at this issue of honoring God with our bodies. There's a lot that the Bible has to say about honoring God with our bodies, and I've read every scripture that I could find in the Bible that talked about honoring God with our bodies, that talked about our diet, that talked about exercise, everything that even remotely related to it, I read. And then I started reading what other people had to say about it. I thought, like, I wanted to see some other sermons that other pastors have preached on this. And to be honest with you, I couldn't find very much. I couldn't find very many, many messages. I couldn't find very many, many books about it. And when I was researching and digging in, what I actually found was that there was, seemed to be more that the Catholic Church had to say about our diet and honoring God with our body than the Protestant Church. And the Protestant Church had a lot to say about drinking alcohol and not being drunk with wine, but the Catholic Church had very little to say about that, which I thought was interesting that Catholics kind of have a little bit of a reputation for maybe having a little too much to drink, and Protestants kind of have a reputation for eating a little bit too much sometimes. And we have these things we call potluck dinners. I found out that Baptists don't have potluck dinners because they don't believe in luck. They have pot faith dinners. But the only, <laughs> the only faith that the Baptists are exercising is how much weight this paper plate could possibly hold before the thing folds under the pressure of macaroni salad. But what it really boils down to is I think there's a place in most of our lives that we haven't really surrendered to the Lord. There's a place in our life that we actually haven't, hasn't come under the Lordship of Jesus. A place that we have acted and felt like we had freedom in our life, but really that place of freedom has become a place of bondage for many of us. While I was working on this, I had an interesting thought, which is that when I die, when I die, the Holy Spirit's expression on the earth through me dies as well. Whenever I die, whenever that is, the Holy Spirit's expression on earth through Jonathan Lonneville dies at that time. His expression on the earth doesn't die. He'll find someone else to manifest himself through. But his expression through me, his unique expression through me, dies when I die. And I don't want that to happen too early. If there's more the Lord wants to express through my life, I don't want that to be cut short because I didn't honor the Lord with the way that I cared for my body. And I think probably you don't either. As I looked into this and as I spent time studying this, there was really three main things that kind of floated to the surface, three very consistent things throughout the Bible, and I want to share those three things with you this morning. The first thing that I saw when I looked in the Bible is our bodies belong to God. Our bodies actually belong to God. I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians 6, which is one of the places that I'm taking this from. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know? And now, 
that phrase, do you not know, this is all through Corinthians. And most people believe that Paul is actually saying that from a place of frustration. Like, don't you know? Like, you guys should know better than this. You know what's true here. So all through Corinthians, Paul actually has that tone where he's saying, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, for the two, shall, the two, he says, shall become one flesh? But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. And here's where the title of my message comes from. Therefore, I glorify or honor God in your body and in your spirit. Listen to this. Which are God's. Your body is actually God's. I've heard this scripture preached a number of times in relationship to sexual immorality and and avoiding that. But I feel like we miss the point where it says our bodies are God's. Now, if we're honest, probably most of us don't give a whole lot of thought to whether or not our lifestyle or the way that we're taking care of our bodies is actually honoring to the Lord. When I was at Elam, I was a freshman. I was 19 years old, and... Um, I was headed from one class to another, and this guy drove up on campus in a brand new Dodge Viper. And I could hear his 50-year-old midlife crisis coming up through campus as he revved the engine. And he parked the car, and a bunch of people kind of got around the car and were like looking at it. And I was walking from one class to another, and I kind of walked by this crowd of people, and I stopped to look at the car for a second. And one of my friends was there, and he said, how about you let Lonnie take it for a spin? And I'm like, dude, come on. They used to call me Lonnie. So I'm like, no. So I said to the guy, I'm sorry. Like, my friends are just joking. I know you're not going to let me drive your car. And he looked at me, and he threw me the keys, and he says, bring it back in one piece. And I literally thought to myself, do you realize how much trouble I can get into with this thing and still bring it back in one piece? Like, <laughs> so I took this car out, and Honestly, it was scary fast. I spun the tires in every single gear in this thing. I'd be coming around a corner, and it was really hard not to let the back end of this thing kick out and lose control of the thing. But when he told me to bring it back in one piece, what he really meant was he meant to honor him with the way that I drove it. And that's what I tried to do for the most part, was to honor him with the way I cared for his car. But I think that mindset of bring it back in one piece is kind of the way that most of us handle our body. We actually like, it's almost like an American sport of how much hell can I put my body through and still have a a body that's duct taped together and super glued together that I can hand back to the Lord at the end and be like, well, it's still in one piece for the most part, Lord. Like, I tried my best. Like, that's how we treat our bodies most times. Warren Buffett is said to be one of the best investors to ever have lived. And oftentimes, he's brought in to talk to young people about how they invest their money and taking care of their money. Um, There's a a symposium that happens with rookie professional athletes, and almost every year, 
Warren Buffett is asked to speak at it, and he comes and he's going to tell them about if they manage their money well, how much it could change their life. But he starts out with something totally different, and he starts out and he asks them a question. He said, if you could buy any car in the world, what would it be? Just think of that car for a second. He said, you know what? You don't even have to buy it. I'll pay for it for you. Any car you could imagine. They think of a car in their mind, and then he says, now I want you to imagine that you only have that one car for the rest of your life. Whatever car you want, but that's the only car you have for the rest of your life. He says, how would you take care of that car? How would you treat that car? Like, what would you do with it? You would probably give it the best of everything. You would fix any little thing that was wrong with it because you knew that was the only car you have to get you through your life. And then he says to these professional athletes, he says, I know you feel young and strong and invincible right now, but that car is actually your body. You only have one body to get through life. One body to get you where you need to go from now until when you're 100 years old. So I'm begging you to take care of your body in a way that it will serve you well as you get older. Now, there's people who literally don't give any consideration at all for how to care for their bodies. Like, zero. Like, nothing, no exercise, no diet consideration, nothing like that. And I think everyone would say, like, obviously, that's a very, very serious mistake, and that's going to come back to haunt you if you don't find a way to change that in your life. But then there's another group of people who do give some consideration to how to care for their body and what they eat and exercise and all that sort of thing. But that group of people usually does it from a position of vanity. They do it from like, I want to look a certain way. I want to feel a certain way. I want to be attractive. I want to feel a certain way in my clothes. I want to feel confident or, or whatever, like from that position. Very few people look at how they're caring for their body from a position of God saying, this is my body. We have to give our bodies back to God. Am I caring for my body in a way that actually brings honor to the Lord? So the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that our bodies actually belong to God. In the same way that God says, bring me the tithe. And if you, if you rob the tithe from me, if you don't tithe, you're robbing that from me. If we don't offer our bodies to God, we're actually robbing that from him. The second thing that kind of floats to the top when you look at this issue in the Bible is the issue that gluttony is a sin. Now, I, t- I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and I was talking about this, and he said, like, this is a pastor. He said to me, is gluttony really a sin? Like, I know, like, it's a sin, but is it really a sin? Like, murder is a sin, lying is a sin, but, like, is gluttony really a sin? And I thought, like, oh, my goodness, like, no wonder the body of Christ is the way that it is. Like, even pastors don't want to confront the fact that gluttony is a sin. So I have a few scriptures I want to share with you just to show you this. It starts off in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 20. It says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son, and one thing that I noticed when I was looking at this issue of gluttony is many, many times throughout the Bible when you see gluttony, you see it tied to stubbornness and rebellion. And what that says to me is that if you're someone who struggles with gluttony like many of us do, it points to a deeper issue of stubbornness and rebellion in us many times. And if you're someone who right off the bat, you say like, yep, I know I'm someone who struggles with gluttony. I think if you're honest, you'll probably see that stubbornness 
and rebellion is somewhere in your heart hiding too. If someone has a stubborn and a rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline will not listen to them, sorry, when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. And they shall and they shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And someone who is a drunkard, is this is also oftentimes tied to gluttony in the Bible. And I think it makes a lot of sense because it's someone who's given to excess and is lacking self-control in their life. Proverbs 23.20 says, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor. Proverbs 28.7, a discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. And this next one is a little intense. It kind of reminds me of the scripture that says, if your eye causes you to lust, pluck it out. It would be better for you to enter heaven without an eye than to try and enter heaven with lust in your heart. This is Proverbs 23.2 says, put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Lord, I think maybe we could just work on self-control and avoid putting a knife to our throat, but it seems like that's how serious he takes it. We would never look at other areas of sin in our life like it was a joke or like it was funny or like it wasn't a big deal, but oftentimes I see people in the body of Christ acting like this issue of gluttony is somehow funny or something to joke about. We'll joke about eating a supersized meal at McDonald's, like I got a double quarter pounder, a supersized fry because I'm a supersized kind of guy. And then I had a supersized Coke, nearly a gallon of Coke because I like sugar running through my veins. And then I had so much I couldn't even eat anymore. But you know, I took one for the team. I pushed past the pain. I got a large milkshake because someone has to do it, right? And you know, everyone's struggling with inflation. The economy's not so good. I don't want McDonald's to go under. So I did my part to help, you know, we joke about this sort of thing as if it's like something that's cute and funny, but it's something that God calls a sin. And I don't really think it's something that's cute and funny to the Lord. As I said to you earlier, when I, I looked into this, I found that the Catholic Church actually had a lot to say, a lot that I thought was really good about gluttony. And so I had a couple of things that I thought were really good that I wanted to share with you. Like, how do we figure out if we are someone who struggles with gluttony. Like, do we actually have this issue in our life? Thomas Aquinas put out a paper where he talked about six ways that he sees the body of Christ commit the sin of gluttony. The first one is eating too soon. The second one, eating too expensively. The third one, eating too much. Number four, eating too eagerly. Number five, eating too daintily. And I didn't really understand that one. And then the last one, eating wildly. And I read that list, and I felt pretty good about it. I felt a little convicted, but I'm like, well, I've only committed five of the six. Like, so I'm a glutton, but not that bad, because I don't understand eating too daintily. But then I read a little bit more about what Thomas Aquinas was meaning when he said daintily, and he said, eating too, in too picky of a manner. And I thought... Most definitely, I am someone who struggles with gluttony because I've committed all six of those, and that's been a huge part of, a, of my life, each one of those things. And I'm like, 
this is not good, Thomas. Like, we got a problem here. So then I read on, and St. Gregory, he wrote five ways that we commit, this was later, he wrote five ways that we commit the sin of gluttony, and he attached a story from the Bible to back up each one of his points, and I like that, so I'm going to share those with you. The first one was eating before the time of meals, and he cited 1 Samuel 14.29, and this was a time that Saul had told Jonathan, I don't want you to eat until night, and then Jonathan went back and went and ate honey during the day, and a curse came on Jonathan because of it. And a little while after I read that, I read an article, and I don't know how true this is, but it probably doesn't sound too far from the truth, but in the article it said that Americans as a whole tend to take in more calories through the day when it's not mealtime than when it is mealtime. So you eat more calories snacking throughout the day than you even do in our meals. So when I first read that, I was like, that seems a little weird, but then I thought about it and I thought, you know what, maybe some of us aren't doing too bad with with our meals, but some of us are probably literally snacking ourselves to death. The second thing that St. Gregory said is seeking delicacies or better quality foods to gratify the sense of taste. And he cited Numbers 11, verses 4 and 5, and this is where the children of Israel had been brought out of slavery, and they're in the wilderness, and God provides food for them. He provides manna. And they start to complain. And they are, there's people complaining, literally saying, we kind of want to go back to slavery. We kind of want to go back to Egypt because they had these onions and these leeks and these cucumbers and all this food that we really liked. So they were ri- literally willing to go back into slavery for food that tasted better, and they despised what God had offered to them. The third thing that uh, St. Gregory said was seeking after sauces and, delic- and seasoning for enjoyment of the palate. He's coming after my sweet baby raisin. I'm not happy about it. This is 1 Samuel 4.11. And I look back at this scripture, and it's about, it's about uh, the sons of Eli. And if you'll remember, I went back and read the story this week. Eli was a king that was so fat, he was so obese, that this guy literally couldn't even hold his body up on the throne. Under the weight of his body, he fell off the throne and broke his neck and died. Like, that's literally what happened. And then the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because the sons of Eli, they struggle with obesity and they struggle with that same issue in their life of gluttony. And then they were called to prepare the sacrifice. And they were supposed to prepare it in a certain way, but they put on more spices and sauces to make it taste the way that they wanted. And because of that, a curse came on them. And then four, exceeding the necessary amount of food. And he cites Ezekiel 16.49. And when you look at the original language, one of the sins of Sodom was fullness of belly. In other words, they ate themselves to the point way beyond what they needed. And then the last one, taking food with too much eagerness, even when taking the proper amount and even with food that's not too luxurious. And he cited Genesis 25.30. This is where Esau literally sold his birthright for a morsel of food. He sold his inheritance for some food, taking food to eat with too much eagerness. I had a, a, this guy who was in my class in school, and like we would get out of class, and he would literally be in a full-blown sprint to be the first one to the cafeteria. Like 
He didn't really care about anyone else. Like, he was literally in a full sprint across the campus to get to the front of the line to have lunch first. Then we went to NYSUM, where we did an internship. He was doing the same thing. He was running to get in the front of the line first. And then on two occasions, this guy choked. They had to give him the Heimlich maneuver because he was so eager to, to get food in his belly that he didn't even chew it up. And I'm like, man, like, that's an, obviously an extreme example, but how many of us are too eager to get food many times? In the 4th century AD, the church put out what it called the seven deadly sins. And then a little while later, it put out the seven virtues. And the seven virtues are character traits that combat the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins that the early church saw were pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and slothfulness. And then they came out with the seven virtues, which are like the opposite of those seven deadly sins. And they're humility, which is the opposite of pride, generosity, which is the opposite of greed, chastity, which is the opposite of lust, kindness, which is the opposite of envy, self-control, which is the opposite of gluttony, patience, which is the opposite of wrath, and diligence, which is the opposite of slothfulness. What I thought was, was really surprising to me when I looked at this list and really brought conviction on me was when I looked at that list, there was the seven virtues. And six of those virtues, I would say most churches in America would say, this is what our church is built on. Our church is built on humility and generosity, chastity, kindness, patience, and diligence. And I think most people in the community, if they looked at our church, they would say, that, that that would be our testimony. That's the fruit of this church. Except for self-control. I wouldn't say that that would be on most people's lists. So it kind of brought me to a place of asking this question, like, what is a healthy relationship with food? What is a healthy relationship with that? And I got to thinking about it, and I think if most of us were really, really honest, for most of us, food is probably more like a drug than it is anything else. A lot of us are really, really addicted to it. We're super addicted to sugar. And I'll be a little bit honest here and say that this is something the Lord has been putting his finger on in my life. This is not something I'm just, you're not the target of this message. I'm the target of this message, and you get to be around for it. But recently, I, I started addressing this issue in my life because I felt like God put his finger on it in my life. And I'm embarrassed to say this, and the only reason I'm going to say it is probably you guys are all guilty of it too, so I don't need to feel that embarrassed, hopefully. And if you're not, you'll just say so to make me feel better. I was addressing this issue and trying to be careful with what I'm eating. I kid you not, there was times that I waited till my family left the room after dinner, and I was looking through the cupboards, and I'm sitting there going, I'm like looking for chocolate or sugar or something like that. And one time I sat down and I went, I look like a straight-up drug addict right now. Like, I'm hiding this. I don't want anybody to know. Wait until everybody else leaves the room. Putting the wrappers deep in the trash can so April doesn't find it. Like, <laughs> what is the matter with me? But the truth is, how many of us are addicted to sugar in that way that if we tried to stop, you would probably be in the same boat? That's more like behavior towards drugs than it is towards something to, with food. So many of us eat for emotional reasons. We're not actually hungry and our body doesn't need calories, but we're upset. We feel empty inside. We feel lonely. We're sad. We're discouraged. And we use food to medicate that thing instead of learning to go to the Lord and saying, like, God, 
this is what I'm feeling. Would you help me with this? So I was looking at that, and I said, Lord, like, how should I look at food? What would a healthy way to be to look at food? And this is what the Lord gave me, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. God said, food is fuel to accomplish all I've called you to do and be. Food is fuel to accomplish all I've called you to do and be. So what does that mean? Like, that doesn't, does that mean that I only eat grass and lettuce for the rest of my life? No, not necessarily. And I was talking to someone this week, and, and they were kind of going through this same thing too and trying to find the answer to that. And I'm not going to go into explicit detail on this. I was joking with Josh that I'm going to hand out meal plans at the end of the service. Not doing that. We're not going there. I'm going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit. But the person said, like, well, do I have, do I have dessert when my husband and I go out? I said, yeah, because I think that that's something that God has called you to do and be, is to be together and enjoy time together. They said, do we have pizza when the grandkids come over on Friday night? Yeah, because God called you to be an awesome grandparent, and that means pizza. But if you're having pizza, nine out of ten meals, that's probably not feeding your body to accomplish all God has called you to do and be. In fact, it's probably going to really hinder you from accomplishing what God has called you to accomplish. So for me, that's the filter that I'm pulling that decision through in my life is, is what I'm going to eat food to help me accomplish all God has called me to do and to be? And the last thing that I feel like kind of comes to the surface as I look at this issue is that we need to give our bodies to God. In the same way that we make a conscious and an intentional and a specific choice to give our tithe to God, I believe we're called to give our bodies to God. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. I don't know if you've ever been beseeched before, but I have. Beseech means to try to um, convince you or compel you. So I compel you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. When I read that, I thought that means that we need to look different than the world. How does the world look when it comes to caring for their body? I looked up uh, the top 10 causes of death in the United States. These are just three of the 10. Heart disease, diabetes, and stroke. Those things I think you could clearly point to and say those are related to our diet. And there's some others on the list that I could have, could have pointed to as well and say they're probably related to diet. But certainly I believe that those three are. Do not be conformed to this world. We're supposed to look different. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then an interesting scripture that is a little bit different, but I liked it. It said, it's 1 Corinthians 7.4. It says, The wife does not have authority over her own body. I liked it, and I told my wife this week. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Amen? And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. So what I saw in this scripture was that we aren't just to present our bodies to God, but our bodies are also our families. It's also our families. You know, I wonder, some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. 
there's a lot of stuff God has done in you. There's a lot that God has invested in you. And I don't want to see you stop imparting to your family sooner than God wants you to. I want, to be, I want you to be able to impart to your family all God has invested in you and planted in you. Impart to your family for as long as you possibly can to see that thing that God has put in you passed on to the generation that comes behind us. Now, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you this morning. I kind of was a little bit already and let you know that this isn't somehow just an issue for you. This is an issue for me too. This is an issue that God is putting his finger on in me. I've known that this was an issue for a while, but the truth is I just ignored it. And I would imagine probably some of you are in a similar place. Like I have a lot on my plate not in terms of food, I mean in terms of my life. I have a lot of stuff in my life, a lot of responsibility and stuff I have going on. I have a lot of kids. Responsibility increases in my life. Kids increase in my life. It just all keeps coming. And sometimes I didn't really feel motivated to honor God with the way that I took care of my body. Sometimes I met with various ones of you during the day, and I wanted to yell at you like Paul did, like, come on, don't you know better? But I didn't. I was gracious with you, and I was kind with you. And then I went home to my kids, and I, you know, I might have been tempted to stomp one of them out, but I didn't. I put them to bed. They're still alive. And I get to the end of the day, and I'm just like, man, I feel like I, I, I deserve a reward. And by a reward, I don't mean time on the treadmill. I mean like pizza and cookies and cake. And I end up eating in a way that is not really honoring to the Lord, not honoring my body and taking care of it in a way that would be a blessing to the Lord. Are you honoring the Lord in the way that you take care of your body? I'm not going to define super specifically what that looks like for you, but I just want you to think about that for a little bit this morning. Is the way that you're caring for your body honoring to the Lord? This week I thought a little bit about how embarrassing it felt to have to say to the Lord, like, Lord, I wanted to present my body to you, but I couldn't because I didn't want to take care of it because I just wanted to keep eating or I didn't want to get off the couch and exercise or to say to my family, like, hey, I wish I could have stuck around longer to support you, to invest in you, but I had an eating addiction and I didn't really want to give it up. And that felt really embarrassing. And so I said, God, you know what? Like, I don't want to be that person I don't want to be someone who eats to excess. I don't want to be someone who's given over to gluttony in my life. And so I prayed and I said, God, I want you to help me with this. I want you to help me be someone who's willing to discipline my body in a way that would honor you so that I can present it to you. And I just want to take a couple of minutes this morning. I just want you to close your eyes and just spend a little bit of time with the Holy Spirit this morning. And just ask him, say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me? How have I been doing taking care of my body? You know, I think for a lot of us, like my friend who said, is gluttony really even a sin? I think most of the church has lived in a way where we haven't even really looked at it or considered it much of a sin at all. So much so that it's an issue in a lot of our lives. Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to us this morning? Is there an area of my life that hasn't been surrendered to you? an area of my life where I haven't given you rulership. You can just stay in that place, and I want to end by just reading this scripture to you. So do you this is 1 Corinthians 9. Here Paul is again. 
Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Listen to this. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Lord, this is an area that I think a lot of us have ignored. We haven't really paid attention to. Really, it's been an area of sin probably for a lot of us. And we've been kind of cute with it. We've joked around about it. We've made small of it. When, Lord, it's not something that you made small of. It's not something the early church has made small of. It's really just the modern-day American church that has made such an, a small deal out of this. But, Lord, I believe the way that we care for our spirits, our souls, and our bodies is important to you. Lord, if there's something in, in one of our lives, in all of our lives, that you want to put your finger on, Lord, we just invite you to do it right now. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, I said that it, this was an area that the Catholic Church had a lot to say, and I think the Catholic Church gets this right, and oftentimes the Protestant Church has missed it when it comes to this. Well, there's actually another place. I'm going to make you guys all Catholics this morning. There's another place that I believe the Catholic Church gets something right that we don't, and that's in the place of confession. Uh, the Catholic Church has made a way for people to confess in a way that brings them freedom in their soul, and I think a lot of times in the place where Catholics have confessed, Protestants have covered up sin and have hidden it in their life. So what I want to encourage you to do is how do we end this message? If God spoke something to you, if the Holy Spirit put his finger on something in your life, I want you to find someone and I want you to confess. I want you to say, like, hey, find someone, a friend, a family member, someone you know you can trust and say, the Holy Spirit highlighted something for me this morning and this is an, an issue in my life and I need help with it. Would you help me? Would you keep me accountable? Would you walk with me so that we together can find a way to honor God, not just with our spirits and our souls, but to honor him with our bodies. Amen? Have a blessed week.